Well, hey, good morning. Good to see all of you. I'm really, really glad that you're here. And uh, if we've never met before, my name is John. I get to serve as a pastor here. And uh, it is Welcome Home Sunday, which is like if you're checking things out or you're online and you're brand new, man, this is probably one of the best Sundays you possibly could have picked because immediately after this, we're giving you lunch. The first 60 people get free ice cream treats. I will be one of those 60 because I need that little cookie with the ice cream in the middle. You know what I'm saying? Anyone else with me on that? That is like the best thing you can get at like an old school ice cream shop. So I'm going to be out there. Uh, I'll beat you out there. I guarantee it. Speaking of which, uh, my wife and I discovered pretty soon after we got married, we both enjoyed running together. And uh, I don't know if you enjoy activities with your spouse like we do, but for some reason we picked annoyingly hard physical challenge to be like the way we connect. And so I remember sitting in a counselor's office like, you guys should try running together. And I was like, I don't know if that's going to work out very well. But we started trying it, and we really started to like it. Like, it clicked for us. We had great conversations while running when if it wasn't too fast. We had uh, cool memories we shared and experiences that we had shared. And one of the things that was on my bucket list was to go and run in this small mountain village called Chamonix in, in the middle of the French Alps. It was, like, on my list. I was obsessed specifically at that time with trail running and mountain running, and I was like, I really want to go to this place, but it felt so far away, so far off, I was like, I don't know if I'll ever actually get to go. And so we started to conspire together. We made plans. So eventually we end up, this is 2019, uh, making the big trip over across the ocean, getting into the French Alps, staying in this beautiful kind of mountain chalet. It was like a dream come true, but I had like two or three runs I really wanted to do, and one of them was called Lac Blanc, which is French for White Lake, and it's at the very top. It's about 11, 000, almost 11,000 feet up in the Alps, starting from like 3,000 feet in the town of Chamonix where we were staying, which, if you're not doing quick math, is about 8,000 feet of gain in about six and a half miles. It was pretty much straight up the side of this mountain, but I wanted to do it, so Lindsay, being an awesome, incredible person, was like, sure, I'll do it with you. So we gear up, we head out in this trail, and the path is pretty clearly marked, but part of the struggle is that it's all in French. So I don't, I don't speak French, like I'm not fluent, parlez-vous français, like I am not, I don't know it. So I just kept looking for Lac Blanc, which I just kept saying Lac Blanc, and everyone's like looking at me weird, but I just kind of looked for those signs, we slowly followed it, and I was feeling good about myself because my goal as a great husband was to beat my wife to the top of the mountain. I was like, see you later. Like, I'm, I find the path, and I'm like, I hope she can follow the signs. Like, I am, I am just such a competitive person. I wanted to win. So finally, I beat her up the mountain, and she's kind of coming behind me, and we get to admire this beautiful view. I mean, it was incredible. It feels like you could reach out and touch uh, some of the most massive, beautiful peaks in all of Europe and we finally get to the top, the way down, the sun starts to burst out from the clouds. It is like one of the most beautiful paths, trails, things I have ever ran in my entire life. Now contrast that. Within the same year, we are training for a different marathon. This is the Bayshore Marathon up in Traverse City, which is a road marathon. So it makes sense. Most of the time, we're road marathon training. You're running on the roads. And one particular Saturday, I was like, how much are we supposed to run today? Because we were doing this together. She was like, I think we're supposed to do 17 miles. And I was like, oh, that sounds awful. It's like 8.30 in the morning. I don't, that doesn't sound good at all. I was like, how about instead of like driving somewhere or running up and down the Kent Trail a thousand times, why don't we just run from our apartment here in Byron Center and try to kind of figure out a route that's about 17 miles that'll get us back to our house, like kind of a, a big loop. 
And she's like, all right. So we go into Google Maps. We kind of map out where we want to go. Let me tell you, running 17 miles up and down Wilson Avenue is nowhere near as beautiful as running in the French Alps. In case you were confused, like that to me, it was gray. It was cold. It's like mid-February at this point. Uh, me and Lindsay pretty much got hit by like 34 different cars on the way. We're like, our legs are kind of jacked up on the way. It was, there's like no shoulder. It was nasty running. It just was like, get it done, grit, make it happen. And so all that to say, uh, we were on a path on the Wilson Avenue run, just like we were in Lac Blanc, but it wasn't a path we wanted to be on. Let me just put it that way. I was not stoked about the path that we had chosen. And in fact, though we did end up at our apartment, the destination, like my apartment door, was so much less beautiful and inspiring and thrilling than it was to be on the top of a French Alp. I'll just, again, put it that way. Here's what I've realized about human nature and about us when it comes to our spiritual journey. All of us are on a path somewhere. Like we all end up somewhere. Now you may be aware of the path that is that you're on right now. You may be subconsciously just living out on a path that you don't actually want to be on. But here's what we found. We're in this series called Make Space, and we sang about it. We're going to teach about it for the next couple weeks. But the goal of our church in this season is how do you make Jesus's presence the center of your life again? When everything is vying for your attention and energy and time and devotion, how do you begin to orbit your family around a greater thing? How do you begin to orbit your own life, your own journey around the presence of God? And, and we're seeking to do that as a church, but here's what I know. I do not accidentally end up in God's presence. I don't accidentally end up in God's presence. I don't drift into spiritual maturity. I don't just find myself becoming a more holy person. I don't just skip into like devotional times or times of worship or or experiencing like the tangible expression of God in my life. I don't accidentally get up to, I don't get there. And here's what I know. Here's what I have learned. Here's what so many of you who follow Christ have learned. We need a path to get there. We we accidentally end up in places we don't want to go. And to get to where we want to go, which is the pursuit of God's presence as the most important thing, we need a path. And Israel, God's chosen people, were no different. If you look at the story of how the tabernacle, this, this structure was created, uh, you find there's a lot of clues in there for how that was going to happen. If you go to Exodus 29, for instance, if you have a Bible or device, we're going to turn there, and then we're going to go to Hebrews 9. But we're going to start in Exodus 29, references on the screen, verse 42. And this is what the word says. For the generations to come, this burnt offering is to be made regularly at the entrance to the tent of meeting before the Lord. There I will meet you and speak to you. So if you skip ahead, last week we were in Exodus 33, talking about Moses. He sets up this REI tent of meeting and basically is meeting and connecting with God there. He has this place kind of outside the camp of the rest of the Israelites and God's presence is there. It's a place where he goes to speak with the Lord. And they're referencing this in Exodus 29, verse 43. There also I will meet with the Israelites, and the place will be consecrated by my glory. Another word for glory in the Old Testament is weight or heaviness. There will be an awareness when you're in that place of my glory and presence with you. Verse 44. So I, talking about God, will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar, and will consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me 
as priests. So God is setting up like a worship staff for this tent of meeting, for this tabernacle. It was that important that day and night there needed to be worship and prayer and sacrifices going forward so that people could continue to understand and encounter God's presence. Verse 45, then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. They will know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt so that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. God gives away his motive for the tabernacle right there. He says, the reason I brought you out of Egypt, the reason I freed you from sin and slavery and death was so that I could dwell with you. This is the reason that God does this for the Israelite people. It's a reason we'll see in the New Testament God wants to do that for us today. Let me free you. If you're like a logical thinker like me and you're kind of analyzing, you're like, okay, so how did this whole tabernacle get set up in chapter 29 and now we're reading about how it first started in 33? Like these chapters don't make sense. Like why is it laid out like this? Let me free you up. So Exodus is a Hebrew book. It's not written in chronological order, rather it's written thematically. And so in this section of what we're going to study for the next couple Sundays is called the first law giving. It's God kind of setting up his first law, his guiding principles for the community of Israel. And one of those, kind of the central piece of that, is the tabernacle. So we're on the same page there. Feel good about that? You're not as confused? Or maybe that was just me. But I was reading, I was like, wait, I preached 33. Now I'm going backwards. I'm going to 29, but they're ahead in the story. That's why. So, all that said, skip ahead now. If you have a Bible or a device to Hebrews 9, I'm going to skip ahead. Listen to what the words of Hebrews says about a tabernacle. In verse 9, or verse uh, 11, rather, in chapter 9, this is what it says. But when Christ came as, say this word with me, high priest. When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are, are now already here, He went through the greater and more perfect, say this word with me, go, tabernacle, you got it, I believe in you, that is not made with human hands. That is to say, it's not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. He's saying, the way that we get into this not earthly tabernacle is not through sacrifices. It's not through bringing your best, your achievements. It's through the person of Jesus. He's kind of highlighting the difference between what we just read in Exodus 29 and what we're reading now in Hebrews 9, verse 14. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God. He's saying every other path basically leads you to spiritual death. But the path of Jesus as a great high priest, as the Lamb of God who takes away our sin and purifies us, that's a path you can build a life on. That's a path you can trust your eternity to. That's a path you can find hope and promise and security in. And finally, verse 13, he ends with this. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Why do I read that? Why does it matter that you and I understand the difference between the Exodus tabernacle and Christ as our high priest and the the modern tabernacle, which is not a physical building, but it's like a spiritual building God is constructed? What does all that matter to you? 
Well, here's what I think is true. What Hebrews is trying to point out to us is that if you want to see tangible expressions of God's presence in your life, and that's what we're after in this series. We're not just saying like, we just want to know God exists and be okay with that because we've read a book or an argument or a logical kind of reasoning. Like, we want tangible expressions. We want to know God is here in our lives, in our family, our marriage, our singleness, in our classrooms, in our workplace, in our church. We want to know tangible expressions of God's presence. And the, the way you do that is you have to go through Jesus. If you want to see tangible expressions of God in your life, you have to go through Jesus. Another simple way to put what Hebrews is saying is that the priest is the path. The priest is the path. Jesus, as our high priest, is the path. Some of you know that uh, about a, seven or eight months ago, I started in a martial art called Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which sounds like a mix of a salon and a wax and a, and a, and a sport. I assure you, it's, it's way less weird than it sounds. But basically, you're, it's called submission fighting, right? You're trying to tap the other person out, choke them out, or turn their limbs in some weird way. We're like, please get me out of this. So basically, I remember one of my very first classes, especially when you first start, it's like you're just going all in. You're trying to t- take people down and fight them down and, and wrestle them to the ground. And I remember my coach just, just kind of telling some of us who had just started, said, hey, this is going to serve you really well. You want to take the path of least resistance, that's going to keep your energy intact. That's going to help you. That's going to force you to work techniques more, more diligently. You want the path of least resistance. And I was like, well, what's the alternative? He's like, you get choked out. I was like, okay, I'll go for the path of least resistance. I'm in. And so that's been a journey of learning that. But that's exactly what you need a path. We all have one. But off, like oftentimes what happens is, is we put other paths ahead of Jesus as our priest. And we end up getting burnt out, choked out by life, spiritually exhausted because we haven't put Jesus in the role of priest for our lives. One of my very favorite verses in all of the scriptures is John 1.14. Literally, kind of the Greek translation of this is that, that God became flesh and he tabernacled among us. That's literally the Greek word. When it says he dwelled or he made his home among us, we saying the word residence, he made his residence among us. Literally, the idea here is he set up a tabernacle among his people. And that is still what he wants to do for every single one of us. That's why knowing the tabernacle, understanding these, these parts of it, are, really, really do matter. Because, for instance, you could look at the tabernacle, and we looked at this kind of a diagram where there's really only one entrance to the tent. But you and I, as people who know Jesus, have a knowledge of him in our lives, may say, I get it. Like the, the writer's trying to point out the fact that, that Christ is the only way, the only truth, the only life. There's only one way in. Like I went camping a few weekends ago, and I'm a dumb camper, and so I left my door open in the middle of, of like the, like as the evening was setting in, and mosquitoes were just flying in. They're like, this is cozy in here. I can't wait. And all night, I was swatting things off my, I did not sleep barely at all. But there was one door, there was one little zipper entrance into that, and the same with the tabernacle. There was only one way in. And before you ever got there, you'd have to set up this bronze altar. And outside of the bronze altar was a place to make your sacrifices. Literally, people would bring their lambs or unblemished animals and and kill them, sacrifice them, as a way to begin the process of purifying themselves and, and coming before God who desired these sacrifices. But in Exodus 27, we see that there's a line in here that you may connect to Jesus. It says, without the shedding of blood, 
there could be no forgiveness of sin. And Jesus takes on the sin of the world, and John the Baptist literally calls him the Lamb of God who removes, who takes away the sin of the world and goes to a cross, sacrifices himself, not our sacrifices, but brings his best and secures our redemption, our forgiveness. One of the lines that sticks out to me, though, in Hebrews 9 is is verse 14. And it's an easy one to skip over. If you have your Bible, you saw that. But it says, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death? Like, whoa, it's Sunday morning. That's kind of intense. Like, you're telling me that every single path besides Jesus into into the way of God's presence will lead me to spiritual death? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> the Hebrews writer is saying, yes, as alluring and tempting and promising those paths may be, they will lead you to a place of spiritual erosion eventually to death. They're all paths that end up leading us down a sinful life and eventually a destination where we don't want to end up. And I've caught this, man. I've been a part of, of churches for a long time, and, and it's I'm so aware of the temptations that we have to place other paths in front of Jesus and say, Jesus, will you help me with my path? You know, like uh, the one I hear often is achievement. Like if I can just get that GPA, if I can get into that, that scholarship program, if I can have that first kid, if I can move into that neighborhood or I can hit that sales number or close this account, like if I could do those things, I could achieve my way into feeling good about my life feeling like God loves me and he's for me. Like really, it's a seeking after God's presence is what that is. What Hebrews is saying is that that path will lead to spiritual death if you're not aware, if you're not careful. The second one I hear all the time, and it's not, it's not blatant, it's not bold and direct like this, but, but often I hear people putting so much trust and value in having financial security. If I could just hit this number for my retirement, if I could just make this amount of income, if I could just pay for this or put my kids in that school or move into that neighborhood and feel secure and stable in my wealth, then I'll be good. That, then I'll feel like God's with me. Then I'll feel like I don't have as many worries and stressors. Right? We say things like that. I hear that all week long, people talking that way. And I get tempted into that too, even as a pastor. But Hebrews is saying the path of financial security and wealth chasing will lead you to spiritual death. It's not a path that will bring you to life. The other one I I run into all the time, and and you probably feel this, I literally can't watch a YouTube video right now without having some kind of 30-second ad about who I should vote for. Anyone else? I'm like, I know everybody's junk. I I didn't even want to know about certain candidates. I'm like, I know everything about them now. I've watched way too much YouTube uh, too much blippy in our household to like skip over. Uh, but it's crazy because I, I'm, I'm just confronted with that and how much value people, even in our own community, and maybe you feel this way, put in voting for the right person. As if like having the right government leader is going to bring you hope and security in this life. If we've learned anything from the last 8, 10, 12, I mean, you go all the way back, is that human leaders will fail. Human leaders mess up. Human leaders lie. Human leaders have lapses of integrity, it feels like, on a regular basis. And Hebrews is saying, putting your hope in just who you're voting for, the next governmental office or structure, I mean, that's a path that will lead you to spiritual death. And finally, one of the ones I think kind of is tied to all these but can 
but could take root in a way that's way more subtle is something I would just describe and psychologists describe as project self. If I can just look better, feel better, manifest my dreams, make enough money, kind of secure myself, like become the best version of me. Like how many Instagram accounts are there just to create the, I mean, it's insane. And that's not to say that eating right is bad. I think you should do that. I probably need to do it more. Like it's not to say that you shouldn't work out or shouldn't care about your body or what clothes you're wearing. I mean, all of that does matter. But when that becomes the most important thing, when yourself, your image, who you are, developing yourself becomes the most important thing about you, who at the end of the day are you really worshiping? Yourself. And Hebrews is trying to say, like, unless Christ is your goal, if he's not your high priest, if he's not the one leading you into the presence of God himself, that path, too, will lead to spiritual death. And here's the harsh reality. And I hesitate to say it because it sounds kind of mean, but I'm just going to say it. Like, all of these paths are ultimately a rejection of Jesus as my authority. They're ultimately a rejection of Jesus as my high priest because what we're saying is, Jesus, I've got a path. Can you help me on the path? Give me, give me some new shoes. Can you clear out the, the, the brush? Can you make a clear sign for me? I want to go on my path, but I, but I don't want to have to follow you on yours. I want you to help me on mine. And here's the truth. Rejecting Jesus as my priest means I miss out on true worship, true presence, true relationship with the Father, with God, and nothing is worth that. The priest is the path. Jesus is the path. Uh, Lindsay and I were joking a couple weeks ago. Uh, every summer, her family ends up spending some time in Grand Haven. If you ever drove to Grand Haven, at least from the direction we drive, which is, I don't, there's one other one, but the main way is you go down a long kind of single lane, basically, road through Spring Lake, and then you can turn left to go to Grand Haven over, over the bridge, or you turn right to Ferrysburg. So she's got some family in Ferrysburg, but this particular time we were staying in Grand Haven with her, some of her family. And every single time I hit that bridge, I have a mental block. I'm like, do I turn right? Do I turn left? Do I turn right? Do I, turn? I have no idea. If I go straight, I'm going into some water. Like I, I literally, she, and I leaned over. I said, do I turn right or left? And she goes, are you kidding me? She's like, are you serious? We've done this drive probably a hundred times. Like, I'm just so, like, I'm not aware of the signage and the, and the way to get me on the right path, and I just totally miss it, and it's like a dumb moment every single time. She's like, are you kidding me? Like, put in the GPS next time. Like, if you can't figure it out, a 45-minute drive from your house, you're pretty much hopeless, but, but that's me. And that, that's one of the reasons, among many, that Jesus sets up, such, or God sets up sp- such specific furniture pieces in the tabernacle. Like, the furniture matters in the tabernacle. You may not care about how your living room, but God cares about what's in his tabernacle. All of those, those things matter. Uh, if you look at it this way, if you think about kind of the diagram of the tabernacle itself, when you walked up, you'd see a bronze altar. And there'd be something sacrificed on that altar. You'd bring a, bring a lamb. And if you move forward, which is kind of representative of the cross, just like we said, if you kept moving kind of straight and then to your left, it would be something called a water laver. Or laver, and that was literally kind of a basin, a sink for you to wash your hands to purify kind of ritually yourself, your external body. So the priest would go and wash their hands. Well, but together now we know as we fast forward to the New Testament, that's kind of a reference, a, a, a signpost to baptism. 
which we're going to celebrate here in just a couple weeks, where people go under the water, signifying death to their old self, and then come up as a new creation, new in Christ. And that's kind of what that pointed to. There was a, a kind of basket of bread inside the tabernacle called the showbread, which now we would know, we'd look ahead and say, Jesus, in John 6, declares himself to be the bread of life, our provision, our sustainer. You'd look kind of to your left into the tabernacle, and you'd see kind of this tall, multiple feet high, multiple spokes candle, a golden lampstand made out of solid gold. And now, not only was that lighting the tabernacle, but it also, to us now, as people following Jesus and having the beauty of the New Testament in front of us, know that Jesus himself declares his identity to be the light of the world. And it was a signpost pointing to something much greater. And you could look at things like there was an altar that literally had perfumes and different spices and incense that was arising. You look through the scriptures over and over again, it talks about the fact that, that our prayer, our worship, our sacrifice of praise is literally an incense into the nostrils of our Father. It's a beautiful smell to him. And so when we sing, when we worship, when we give our heart, when we express ourselves, we're, we're blessing the heart of God just like this incense would have been. But if you're an Israelite person, one of the questions I'm interested in is how would this furniture shape you? Like they didn't, have, they didn't know who Jesus was. They didn't make all those connections and kind of tied together the Old New Testament like we just did in like a minute. But here's what it would have pointed out. Number one, how you enter the presence of God really matters. How you enter the presence of God really, really matters. It, God is not okay with flippant, kind of nonchalant worship. Like, take it or leave it, doesn't really matter. Oh, God's word, take it or leave it, I don't really care. Like, that's not to say that you can't be on a journey spiritually to, to that place of devotion and worship. But God is saying, how you enter my presence, it really matters. I am a holy, powerful, sovereign God who deserves awe and reverence and worship. But the second is that it would have reminded you of your need for the true path. It would have reminded you of your need for a priest, for someone to lead you on the way. And obviously today we refer to that person as Jesus. He is, just like we read, our great high priest. I remember when this happened for me. It was about 12 years ago now, almost to the day, where I had this encounter. I basically was 18 years old, and I was just kind of fed up with the way I understood faith and spirituality and religion. I had grown up in church. I was connected to it, but I was incredibly jaded and cynical about it as an 18-year-old. And so I kind of went to my parents one day. There was an opportunity opened up for me to work and kind of intern uh, at, at this place in Auckland, New Zealand. Had some family friends out there. Out there as if it's close. It's not close at all. But I kind of was like, I looked on a map. I was like, what's the farthest thing from Grand Rapids, Michigan? I'm going to go there. So I booked this one-way ticket to Auckland, New Zealand. I'm there. And amidst surfing and bungee jumping and whitewater rafting and basically trying to get myself killed and having fun while doing it, I encountered Jesus. And it wasn't through a powerful worship service like we get to have like on a weekly basis here or an awesome conversation in a small group or like a really cool moment or video I saw or a crisis even. It was through simply reading the gospels and understanding who Jesus was and what he came to do. It was a recognition that my path was performance. I wanted to look good, 
be composed. Don't show any cracks in my armor. Sin was fine as long as it didn't hurt anybody else. I had a high tolerance for pride in my life, for making myself feel and look better than I really was. And I read Jesus story after story of him coming to people just like me and saying, I've got a better path. I've got a path that leads to life, life to the full, not a path that you're on that's leading to spiritual destruction. And so one of the most important questions you can ask today and answer today is what will you do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? Because that question, that central question is one of the, one of the most determining factors for you to grow spiritually. Because the question is not, what will you do with religion? What will you do with the church service? What will you do with this pastor, or that pastor, or that influencer, or that podcast? I mean, it's not, that's not the question. The question always has been and always will be, what will you do with Jesus? Because when you answer that question honestly, realistically, practically, your life will get set on a different path. And what I desire for you, what I know Jesus desires for you, what our team and staff desires for you is that Jesus would be the organizing priority and presence in your life. Because at the end end of that, at the other side of that is true change, is true healing. is an adventure worth living for, an eternity worth, worth risking your life for. So will you let Jesus be your priest? Will you let him be your Lord? Will you let, let him be your savior? That is the most important question this Welcome Home Sunday. And maybe for you, uh, this is not a brand new conversation. You're like, I'm better on church. I've been to services. You're not the first church I've ever heard say that or first church I've ever heard talk about Jesus. And that's great. That's awesome. But that's not the question. The question is, what will you do with Jesus? What, what have you decided about Jesus? And so if you look uh, either on the seat next to you or on the seat you walked in and sat down on, it's a really simple card. Just says, I'm ready. And a couple times a year, we kind of leverage a card like this to help us just kind of cement in the ground spiritual decisions. And for you, maybe your decision today, online or right here in the room, is to begin a relationship with Jesus. It's to say, you know what, I, I'm tired of running on my own path. I'm tired of, tired of being my own king, my own Lord, and, and I need a savior. I need someone to rescue me out of that. And you begin and just check that box. It's to, it's to kind of signify like I'm beginning a relationship with Jesus. Secondly, maybe you're in a camp like so many people are where Jesus is familiar. You've been around him. You get it. But your life isn't surrendered to him. It's not committed to him. You maybe walked away. Maybe there was a season where you were that way. But today is a stake in the ground for you to say, I'm recommitting to that kind of life. I'm letting Jesus be my path again. Thirdly, maybe you know a next step. If you've received Christ and you're living for him, but you've never been baptized, or maybe you're baptized as a little kid and you've never done that as an adult, an independent decision. Again, we're gonna celebrate that later in October, but just check that off. Say, it's my time. I wanna get baptized. And we'll talk through questions. We'll process that with you. We would love to do that. But fourthly, maybe you're here and you're just asking questions. You're like, I don't even know. I don't know if what you're saying is real. I don't know if what you're saying is for me. I don't know if I'm there. 
Maybe just check off that fourth box and say, I have questions about Jesus. I want to talk to somebody. And maybe it's someone way smarter than me. I would love to have that conversation with you. Our staff would love to have that conversation with you. But you just begin to explore that person. Person, Jesus can handle your questions. Jesus can handle your doubts. He can handle your deconstruction, your cynicism, your skepticism about the church. I mean, Jesus can handle it. He's that good. He's that strong. But if you have questions, don't just end the journey there. Keep going. And so what we're going to do, everyone has a pen. Everyone's got a card. I'm going to take those pens and those cards, and we're going to give you about 30 seconds just to pray. And maybe today you need to take one of those steps. You need to, you need to physically respond to this. And we're going to give you the opportunity, uh, opportunity to do that. And then I want to pray for us, So we're going to sing a little bit. And then we're going to go have some lunch and have a party together. But don't miss this moment. Seize the moment and let God do his work as he is here. So let's take 30 seconds, process that card out, and fill it out if you, need, if you know it's your next step, and then I'll pray for us. Father, thank you for your presence. Thank you that you are close, that you are near, and that you desire to draw us in to real, lasting relationship with you, to your presence. And God, as as we respond today, some of us are taking a bold spiritual step. Some of us are making commitments that will last for generations to come, and I celebrate that. Thank you, Lord. For others of us, it's a renewal. It's a recognition that we get so caught up in pursuing our own path that we forget that you're the path, you're the way, you're the truth, you're the life. And so we return back to you. For those of us who need to obey you and take a step, a bold step of baptism, God, I thank you for that. For those who are asking questions, who are skeptical or cynical and need you to come alongside and be their guide, I pray that you would speak and that you would bring answers and clarity and wisdom that come from walking with you and surrendering those questions, surrendering those anxieties to you. And we thank you most of all, God, that today in your presence, you are worthy to be praised. Your name is above every other name. It's your authority we want to rest under. It's your humility that draws us into you. It's the fact that you stepped down into earth and tabernacled among us that we can experience your real presence. So we submit to you, Lord. We thank you for this moment. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.